I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. I was joined in the studio this week by Renee Bunker, a former federal prosecutor with more than 20 years experience working in United States attorney's offices, most recently as the appellate chief in Portland, Maine. Renee Bunker spoke to me about the Harvey Weinstein trial on Thursday, February 27, 2020. Welcome, Renee Bunker. Good morning, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Well, after a two-week trial and five days of deliberation by a jury in state court in New York City, Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein was convicted this week of rape and sexual assault and led off to prison in handcuffs. First, Renee Bunker, what were the top notes of the trial from your perspective? What stood out, if anything, about this particular trial? I think there were a number of top notes. Um, What's standing out to me a lot is that the jury, the defense was um, expectedly to discredit the victim witnesses and the defense did a brutal cross-examination as is their right but the defense theory was really to exploit the rape myths to say that because these women kept contacting Mr. Weinstein even after the criminal sexual acts occurred after the rape occurred then they could not have been raped um, or the victims of these crimes and the myth that because they didn't report right away Um, that it must have been consensual and they weren't actual victims. And the state's expert testified that that's not uncommon conduct for victims of sexual assault and rape. And the jury, I think the remarkable thing is the jury didn't buy the rape myth defense. Well, the Weinstein jury was composed of seven men and five women, two of whom were white, are white. Uh, We hear prosecutors and criminal defense lawyers alike say often that uh, trials are won or lost in jury selection. Do you agree? And in this case, do you think the composition of the jury lends any credence to the verdict one way or the other? I'm not sure that I I didn't follow jury selection as closely as I followed the trial and the aftermath of the trial. I think the mix of seven men and five women um, is, uh, I think, a plus for the um, validity of the verdict, the ultimate verdict. Seven men and five women found proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Weinstein um, raped one victim and committed a criminal sexual act against another. So I think that um, is a positive sign. Now, the verdict has been hailed as a victory for the Me Too movement, a global campaign that encourages women to come forward and hold powerful men accountable for their sexual misconduct. In your view, was the Harvey Weinstein criminal trial a referendum of sorts on the Me Too movement? I'm not sure I would go that far. Um, and I've heard uh, District Attorney Vance say that this is a, you know, changes the landscape. This is a very important case. And I think it was a watershed moment in a very important Me Too movement. I mean, the silence breakers and the 90 plus women who came forward and had the courage to speak out against Harvey Weinstein and the power and money and silence that he was able to instill, um, that's inspiring and that inspired so many others to come forward. What the effect of this case down the line is going to be, I think time will tell. Um, Yet following this week's verdict, actress Ashley Judd tweeted, quote, for the women who testified in this case and walked through traumatic hell, you did a public service to girls and women everywhere. Thank you. Do you believe that testifying at a trial like the Harvey Weinstein criminal trial is a public service, is an act of public service? I think that testifying truthfully at trial 
is a public service. And those women, we have a pretty robust, it is absolutely an imperfect criminal justice system. And I know both sides want to, you know, think it's imperfect. It's absolutely imperfect. But for those six women to subject themselves to the cross-examination, grueling, brutal cross-examination with defense counsel breaking one woman down to tears and, you know, uh, that's what our system allows, and I do think it's a public service for uh, people to come into trial and testify truthfully. So what role does the prosecutor play, if any, in preparing and trying to protect witnesses from the, the traumatic hell that Ashley Judd referred to? Is it like a debate prep where you, you know, you the, as the prosecutor, you throw what you anticipate to be the hardest questions at the witness in, like, practice sessions, or it, or is is there some other... What does the prosecutor do to help witnesses get through a trial? I'm sure prosecutor stra- prosecution strategy- strategies vary. I've done 39 criminal trials, I think, in my experience as a federal prosecutor, most of them jury trials. And yes, I, my practice and most of my colleagues, uh, we prep the witnesses, we try and anticipate the questions the defense will ask. Um, I don't think I've ever broken a witness down to tears and um, a possible panic, panic attack in preparation. But and there are rules of evidence, and it's really the judge's job to um, to monitor the degree of the both direct and cross-examination and where it might cross the line or where it's appropriately testing the evidence, which is what the defense has a right to do. Harvey Weinstein was represented by defense attorney Donna Rotano, who took incredibly bold public relations moves throughout the trial, in my view, including uh, granting interviews where she openly questioned the victim's credibility and motives, as well as writing, this really shocked me, she wrote a 280-word opinion piece in Newsweek right before the jury was set to begin deliberating that said, and I'm quoting what the Newsweek article that she wrote said, I implore the members of this jury to do what they know is right and was expected of them from the moment they were called upon to serve their civic duty in a court of law. The lead prosecutor, Joan Aluzzi, called Ms. Attorney Rotano's behavior inappropriate and tantamount to jury tampering. Rotano says she was just countering the prosecution's narrative that Mr. Weinstein is a predator and that she didn't say anything beyond the bounds of what our system should do. What's your take on it? I, too, was troubled by several aspects of Ms. Rotono's approach. I mean, the, the rape myth defense is out there. She did, as you know, Cynthia, the interview with Megan Toohey, where she was asked if she had been a victim of sexual assault. And she, her response was, I have not, because I would never put myself in that position. With pressing from Megan, she said, I'm not saying every victim has put herself in that position, but that type of victim blaming and shaming is so troubling. Um, we should be focusing on what the the conduct of the perpetrator, not whether somebody put themselves in a vulnerable situation. As to the last incident, right as the jury's going into deliberations to submit that opinion piece to Newsweek, um, that's troubling. And the language, she can say it was just my, and I think she did, my commentary on the criminal justice system. That was a terrible time to choose to express your opinion on the criminal justice system. And you just read the quote that I had also written down. It, it, she talks about this jury. I'm imploring this jury. That is so close, if not over the line, to out-of-court pleadings to jurors to convict. She, the facts are the facts, and he, Harvey Weinstein is innocent. His fate hangs in the balance, and the world is watching you. I mean, that certainly appears to be an attempt to get 
at least one juror, and it only takes one to hang a jury, um, decide whether. So that's troubling, I think. Yeah, I thought so too. And, and I guess, do you agree with me that I guess what the competing interests at stake are the free speech rights of Rotano, or I guess Harvey Weinstein through his attorney, versus the fair trial? I mean, is that, do, it, do you think her, that's her argument? Is I, this, this is my right as, as a representative of this criminal defendant to put out this narrative of what his defense is? Uh, look, I'm, I'm a big believer in the First Amendment. First Amendment rights are not unlimited, and I think this justice, Burke, had told counsel not to talk to the media until the verdict is delivered, and that's not that unusual. Um, so to put a gag order on counsel, on both sides, both parties, um, in my opinion, is a, an appropriate, uh, might, might be a an appropriate limitation on First Amendment rights to the extent they're implicated here. Of course, people can comment on our criminal justice system on all sides, but um, not necessarily during a criminal trial. What do you think the role of the media is in a criminal trial like this, that there, where there's so much at stake and there's so much publicity? I mean, is who is the intended audience of these public relations campaigns that, I guess, according to Rotano, both sides put out? I don't think I'm in a fair position to comment on who the intended audience. I, I, and the media has both been criticized for um, furthering the decades of silence by victims um, in the allegations, decades of allegations of sexual um, assault and rapes by Mr. Weinstein. And so to the extent the media is a tool um, to further the Me Too movement, to inspire people to speak up, and to have people sharing their stories, be they you know men and women, um, victims and perpetrators. Uh, that seems appropriate in terms of trying to influence the outcome of a jury. I mean, the outcome of a trial while the trial is underway, that seems um, very problematic. Well, Rotano also said uh, after the um, conviction, Attorney Rotano said that they'll, they're gonna appeal and um, she also added, um, quote, Harvey is unbelievably strong. He took it like a man. <laughs> and then she said with a straight face, um, as her client was like slumped over a walker, looking dazed and unkempt. I mean, do you think this is a show? I mean, like, is, is Attorney Rotano, is her professional reputation going to be harmed or enhanced by her, rep by her representation of Harvey Weinstein, do you think? My understanding is that Ms. Rotano has made a career, um, part of her career is defending um, perpetrators, defendants accused of sexual crimes. And we need defense attorneys across the board defending people accused of murder and sexual assault and rape and, and, and so forth. Whether she has crossed the line in this case, that will be for a judge to decide and whether this is going to further a career that she's already, she's the female face of um, that um, line of defense and exploitation of the rape myth um, defense and whether in this day and age the, one of the best upshots of this is that the jury rejected that defense um, and that paradigm and the rape myths and so forth. So whether this is all going to make or break Ms. Rotano's career, I, I have no idea. Now, the, um, the charges Weinstein was convicted of carry up to 29 years behind bars, according to the AP, and sentencing is scheduled for March 11th. So what happens between now and then? My understanding is Mr. Weinstein is a medical, he's in prison, and he's in prison because of what the seven men and five women found beyond a reasonable doubt that he did, not because they jumped on some sort of 
Me Too bandwagon. He's in a medical facility, and I hope that they are taking care of his medical needs. Um, at the same time, uh, I'm sure the attorneys are preparing their sentencing papers, and I think there will likely be a motion for release pending appeal. Um, whether Justice Burke grants or denies that, I have no idea. Um, now, will the sentencing hearing itself be another public um, hearing in, in certain respects? Will, there be, will witnesses come forward and testify, yes, do you believe? I don't, I don't know if witnesses can. Victims have a right to speak at the sentencing. I don't know. Oh, there's a right? Uh, uh, at least in the federal oh, interesting. system. Mm-hmm. Victims have rights as well. Um, and whether who will come forward and whether they will come forward, I, I don't know. Um, we saw that in the Larry Nasser case where a number of victims came forward. And it's up to Justice Burke to decide. Um, the rape charge carries a maximum of four years. The uh, sexual criminal act charge carries a minimum of five years in prison and a maximum of 25. So Justice Burke could decide to run sentences concurrently or consecutively, which is where you get to the 29 years. Oh, okay, I see. Reach. Um, oh, interesting. So that's Justice Burke's calling. Now, you mentioned the Larry Nasser trial, and I'm sure you took particular interest in that since you had a full four-year athletic scholarship to an NCAA Division I school for gymnastics. Uh, would you say that the trial, the criminal trial of Larry Nasser, is similar to the Harvey Weinstein trial? Are these similar cases? I haven't given that a thought until you asked it, and I am going to Penn State this weekend for a gymnastics reunion. I think they're similar And one of the most inspiring parts about what's going on right now is the number of white were girls and now women who have found their voice to speak up in the face of powerful men. When allegations were made against uh, Mr. Nasser, those young women were not believed, sometimes by their own parents. Um, So to the extent we're now in an environment, thanks to the silence breakers, thanks to the women who are coming up, and thanks to the people and the prosecutors and the jurors who are listening carefully, I think victims are, I hope, increasingly feeling like they can safely tell their story, and um, even to a judge, and even when the alleged perpetrator is powerful and rich and famous. Well, that's why I think there is a certain political outcome to these criminal trials, because there is kind of a shift in power. There's like empowerment of victims and witnesses. And to, so I, I think a criminal trial like the Harvey Weinstein trial is good for democracy because it reinforces our democratic institutions like the judiciary. And I, I just, um, I'm, I'm pleased, but the New York trial was the first criminal trial to arise from the barrage of allegations against Harvey Weinstein from more than 90 women, including actresses Gwyneth Paltrow, Salma Hayek, Uma Thurman, and others. But most of those cases were too old to prosecute. A second trial, however, is set to begin against Weinstein in the coming days in Los Angeles on felony counts of rape and sexual assault. So will the guilty verdict in New York do anything for the case in California? Like, is there any uh, precedential value or any carryover of the evidence from one trial to the other? Or will the prosecutors in California really just be starting from scratch in their own case? I think the guilty verdict in New York can sometimes change the strategies of a defense and prosecution teams. Um, that said, my understanding of the LA, to- uh, the um, Los Angeles case, it's different women. It was. Um, very close incidents, one of rape, one of sexual assault around the Oscars, I think. So I don't know whether any of the evidence would overlap. It could if they would try again to do the, um, to show the pattern, the predatory sexual assault. And I don't know, 
I'm less familiar with what the charges are there and, um, and how they will prove those with those prior bad acts type right. um, cases that we talked about. And you mentioned the movement, you know, we're seeing an empowerment of the women speaking up, spin off on the last question. I think it's also important that the, the defense and Ms. Rotonda almost make it seem like Harvey Weinstein could never have received a fair trial given the Me Too movement. I think something's remarkable here is what this jury did. Um, they they didn't just jump on a Me Too bandwagon and rush to convict. They submitted ten notes to the judge to Justice Burke. They asked to have a rereading of testimonies, cross examination reread. They deliberated for over twenty six hours over a course of, of five days, I think, and they rendered a mixed verdict. So I think that too is remarkable. That this appears to be a jury that deliberated hard and really mined into the evidence. And um, they found Mr. Weinstein not guilty on three of the five counts. Now, does the, his acquittal on those predatory um, assault charges, does the acquittal have any precedential value? Could he be charged, for instance, for similar crimes in other jurisdictions? No, we could not. We, I mean, the, the state, I say we as the government, um, if, if the government loses, the government loses. If, if it's an acquittal, hung juries and so forth, there can be different scenarios. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's innocent, but it was a compelling. Um, it means that the jury, seven men and five women, found that the state had not proved beyond a reasonable doubt um, that Mr. Weinstein had committed the predatory sexual assault um, crimes in the, the first-degree rape charge. My understanding is that one of the accusers in the Los Angeles case, Lauren Young, testified in Weinstein's Manhattan trial as one of the three prior bad act witnesses. Do you think, assuming that's true, do you think it'll be harder or easier for Lauren Young to testify a second time? Both parties will, I assume, have the transcript from her testimony in Mr. Weinstein's case, and that will be both fodder for further um, cross-examination, should she testify in the Los Angeles case, um, and or um, their I don't know the facts of the Los Angeles case, so I don't, and I don't know her involvement, so I don't know how her testimony would be altered, um, just because there are different events at issue there. What are the risks generally for witnesses in these kinds of cases? The risk that stood out to me, and I think every victim of sexual assault out there right now, is anybody who learned of and read about the. Um, grueling cross-examination that the victims were put to. Um, the rape victim literally broken down with the evidence being tested to, as far as it could possibly be tested is an argument where she was sobbing and the court had to adjourn. Um, and there are risks for any of these. The silence breakers came out not knowing what the outcome would be and there's a backlash. I, I don't know if you saw the 60 Minutes um, show on Chanel Miller's uh, recent memoir. No, I did you not. Know my name. She was the victim who was raped. She was drunk, uh, passed out behind a dumpster. Uh, ultimately, Brock uh, Turner was convicted after a second trial. But her—it's just compelling. She the backlash of how she could wreck this, you know, swimming star Stanford student's life, um, versus asking how he had wrecked her life exactly. for the rest of her life. Um, anybody who speaks out um, is still faces that risk, I think. And social, until our society 
and I think hopefully that's where the Me Too movement will continue to go, regardless of the Weinstein case and outcome, is to change that cultural paradigm of blaming and shaming the victim. Um, well, Renee Bunker, we're out of time, but what a great conversation. Thank you so much for being my guest, and I hope you'll return. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you.